to just jump right in here. Uh, from time's sake, I want to look at Acts 7, just to open up here, verses 30 through 35. We've looked at these, this passage, these verses, for the past couple of weeks. Again, the reason for this is we're talking about Moses. We're talking about Moses, though, not just in terms of the historical narrative, which we will be picking back up in a couple of weeks, and we're going to be tracing sort of the, the movement of the young nation of Israel as they leave Egypt and drawing a lot of conclusions from the different experiences they had. But the first part of the year, specifically this first opening month, we wanted to focus on Moses, but through a specific lens, through the lens of change and transition and trust and adaptability, realizing that not only are we moving into a new year, but on top of that, many of us are dealing with issues in our own lives that can be described as transitions or areas of change or areas where change is being required of us. Some of that change may have been welcome change. That's one thing, but some of that change may be unwelcome change. That's another thing. We're going to talk a little bit about the latter in a moment. Um, we read here, though, very quickly through Acts 7, verses 30 through 35. Again, these are, this is the words of Stephen, an early leader uh, in the church. Uh, when it just begins, he is sharing a history of Israel. This is his summary of a particular time in the life of Moses. It says, And when 40 years had passed, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in a bush in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. And when Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight. He was amazed. We talked about the burning bush this last fall and what happened around that whole, and that whole experience that Moses had. And it says, as he drew near to observe, the voice of the Lord came to him saying, I am the God of your fathers. I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac. I'm the God of Jacob. Take your, basically Moses trembled and dared not look. But then the Lord said to him, take your sandals off of your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. And I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. And I've heard their groaning, and I've come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. Then Stephen goes on to say, This Moses whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge, is the very one that God sent to be a ruler, a leader, and a deliverer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. So that is Stephen's account. What's interesting is he, he condenses a, a lot of information into six verses. If you read the original account in the book of Exodus, it takes up the entirety, this, this, this piece here that he's referring to takes up the entire third chapter of Exodus and half of the fourth. Interestingly enough, the verses that cover it are 39 verses, and the 40th verse marks the beginning of, of his departure from the bush into his new phase of life. Um, for, the reason I say that, I don't want to draw too much out of that, you know, it's an interesting coincidence perhaps, but 40 is such a unique uh, number in the life of Moses. Think about it. Forty years he was a prince in Egypt, an adopted prince of Pharaoh's, adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter for 40 years. For 40 years he was a shepherd in Midian. And for 40 more years he becomes the leader of Israel in the wilderness. So there's this clear piecing of 40-year periods in the life of Moses. Now, one of the things that we also note that's that is clear in the Exodus account is that Moses was at, <laughs> so he had such a reluctance to want to move forward with what God was asking him to do. There were, there were times where he would just try to come up with every reason in the world why God had the wrong man to do this. And it's really such a contrast to the earlier version of Moses who was so self-confident, self-assured, uh, felt so impressed, it would seem, with his own capacities 
that it wasn't an issue of whether God could use him, but whether he would do it. But this version of Moses, far older, far more chastened, um, he is so reluctant to move forward with God, it, he just throws off one excuse after another. And in fact, that's why I put this little piece here in, of Exodus 3 in there. Just as an example, look what, he, look what this little interaction that takes place. Now go, the Lord says, I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. But look at this. But Moses protested to God. Well, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? And God answered, I will be with you. And this is your sign that I am, I am the one who has sent you. And he says, when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. But then Moses, what does it say? He protested, Lord, if I go the people of Israel and I, if I go to them and I tell them that the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? What should I tell them? And then God says, well, this is what you need to tell them. I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel that I am has sent me to you. And you would think that that would have been it. Moses gives up, settles in. But you know what? What follows is one excuse after another. Let me just show you real quickly what I mean by that. Here's just a, a quick sampling of the exchanges that occur. It says here that Moses protested again in the first verse and fourth chapter there. What if they won't, what, believe me? What if, what if uh, they won't listen to me? There's this whole sense that what if they say, you know, the Lord never really appeared to you. So, Lord, I don't want to do it. What if, what if they won't receive me? And then again, notice verse 10. But Moses pleaded this time with the Lord. Now it's gone from protesting to pleading with the Lord. Oh, Lord, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not very good with words. I'm not your guy. Whoever is going to be that guy has got to be able to speak really well. And, and I'm not good at it anymore. I, I never really have been. I, I, I'm not now, and I haven't been. And, and I, I tangle up all my words. Find somebody else who can speak better. And then my favorite one, the last one. Oh, come on, Lord. Please, just... Send somebody else. I don't want to go. Not me. Anything, anybody but me. I give up. I have no good excuse. I just don't want to do it. Can you find somebody else? And the Lord says, no. I want you. You're the one. I want you to go. I want you to do what I've called you to do. Finally, Moses surrenders and gives up, gives up, basically, waves the white flag and says, Lord, all right, I'll do it. And he does it. But it wasn't easy to get him to respond. He is, at best, if we can call it this, a reluctant deliverer. And the reason I think he was so reluctant is connected back to the 35th verse in Acts 7. Notice the first phrase of that 35th verse. What does it say? What does Stephen call him? What does he do? How does he describe him? This Moses whom what? They rejected. Moses had the sting of rejection on his life. And I think one of the reasons that he is so so uncomfortable with moving forward with God's plan for his life is because, not just because he's lost self-confidence, that can happen. There's no question he, he knew the caliber of, of the court of, of Egypt and what it would require of someone. He understood that, the, the skill sets that were needed. He probably felt, I don't have what it takes anymore. I'm no longer skilled. I'll be embarrassed. They'll, they'll write me off as someone who's incapable I understand that. that. That could have been a part of it. But it, it, what really stands out is that Moses is, is still feeling the bite or the sting of, of that wound from being rejected by his own people when he had really stuck his neck out on the line, so convinced that God had called him to finally make a move, sacrifice, to give it all up, to be a deliverer, that obviously they would see that God had put me in this place for a reason. And then to, to do it and to have them, as, as, as it's described, literally one of them pushes him away 
and says, who made you a ruler or a judge over us? We never asked you to do this. We don't want you. And so when Moses leaves, he leaves not just on the run for what he's done. He leaves with the, the, the feeling of being rejected by his own people. And so when Stephen says the one that they rejected, that's Moses. And Moses is just amazing. We say, well, 40 years have passed. Come on. I mean, he should have got past that. But, it's, you know, even in our own lives. It's true. There is something to be said about the adage that time heals all wounds. At least it makes it better in most cases. And I think there's truth to that. I think there is a value in time passing. That it gets harder and harder to, to sometimes be wounded by something. That's good. Just letting some time pass can be uh, medicinal. But there are some things... And I think some of us understand this at a very visceral level, that there are some things that all it takes is a, a reminder. And those feelings, time, but they come running back in. And by the way, in a positive way, that's the power of a song. That's why I love song. So it can create a mood. It's, we're hardwired as human beings that way by God, I believe. Uh, something about it. It's, uh, it can connect us to feelings, to emotions. It's something about how he, made, how he made us, how we've come into being. It, 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 we're, we're connected at that level. We love story. We love song. It, it does something to us. And there's, there's meaning here as well for Moses because immediately one gets the impression that he's launched back. He's launched back and he's thinking about when it didn't work. I can't do that again. I can't go through that again, Lord. No, you got to find somebody else, not me. I'm not your guy. I, 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 had, I tried. Somebody else needs to do this, not me. I don't want to go back there. I went there. I put, I, I'm, not, I'm not your guy. I, I'm not ready. I can't do it anymore. Find somebody else. See, all the excuses, but the things that we do to protect ourselves from being hurt again. It's just right there, sitting there for us. Moses is trying to protect himself. He, I don't want to do it, Lord. But the Lord's saying, you need to do this. And so what do we see God doing? Moses is pushing God. And God's pulling Moses, right? Come on. Come on, Moses. Come on, you can do this. Moses is digging in his heels. I don't want to do it. Find somebody else. God said, come on, you got to do it. Hey, I give it. Here's why I can't. Yes, you can. You can do this. You can do this. I am with you. But they want to, I am with you. You see, and the thing is, I love the, uh, um, let me just kind of put this on the board. We'll start with this. Just thinking about change as a, as a whole. Let's just put it this way. Let's just suggest that there are times where the Lord wants to pull us into change. He's trying to get us to move into a change. But we, because we get stuck in a groove, a rut, and we have our ways of being. Moses had settled into a way of being that sort of had you know, sequestered him or you know, sort of roped him off from being vulnerable again. And the Lord is saying, you got to do this. And the Lord will at times pull us. And, I, and someone said to me, you know what? I love the idea of, of the idea of God instead of pushing us into change. Because they said to me, when, when someone pushes us into change, it's sort of like we're out there on our own. But pulling us into change is sort of like he's pulling us with him. I think that's a great, a great observation. The idea of the Lord pulling us in a direction because he wants us to come with him. He will be with us. Moses, he says, I am with you. I will be with you. We will do this. But I want you to be this to these people. Will you do this? But I will be with you. God will at times pull us into change. And, and that's a good thing. 
And there are times where the Lord is trying to break through into our lives. He's trying to break us out of patterns of behavior, um, issues of our past that continue to lock us down or affect in a very adverse way our ability to live in a healthy and whole fashion or to love well in a committed fashion. We carry things. God's saying, I want you to move out of that place. It's not good for you anymore. I have other things to do. Usually those things that he wants us to be are connected to what he wants us to be for others. God doesn't just bless us for our own selves. He blesses us to be a blessing. And now, keeping that in mind, that's why when God's on our trail, it's a good thing. It's a good thing to be pursued. To be pursued is a sign of his love. God's trying to get us. He's trying to remind us. He's trying to call us. He just doesn't let us wander off without pursuing us. He is, as it says, and like the poet Thompson said, Francis Thompson, at the time, that he is the hound of heaven on our trail. Some of us, he's been trailing us. He's calling us home. Anyway, keeping in mind that there are some changes that God wants to pull us into, but this is also true. There are some changes in life, and we'll call this our second piece, that are pushed onto us. And we didn't want them. We weren't asking for them. They came on us. Someone else made a decision. A situation that we couldn't control happens. We have no say in it. It was not what we wanted. And I'm not just talking about catastrophic changes. It certainly can be that. Um, it could be things relating to our career. It could be things relating to our finances, our relationships. That's, that's, it could be painful things. In our, it could be, have to do with our health. It could have to do with so many different aspects of our life. But the fact is, there's a difference, listen, between welcome change and unwelcome change. And some change, we didn't want it, and we're fighting, and we don't like it, and it's no good, and it hurts, and it's unfair, and it's wrong. And, and, and we, 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 are, we are finding ourselves having to deal with it. And that, that is not always an easy thing, you know? And I, and I think that um, when, we, when we think about why it's sometimes so hard to deal with change is because, some, and sometimes unwelcome change can be jarring. It could just stop us in our tracks. It's unsettling. It's stressful. It, um, it might even be devastating in a, in a way that you know, our heart is so wounded and, and or we're, we're so afraid. Uh, what are we going to do? Our world is so shaken. The pillars that we have made assumptions around are shaking on us. Again, some things are not, some unwelcome change is not that big, but sometimes it is. Sometimes it's just little stuff, but it, it's the change that we didn't want, and we weren't looking for it, and then we're really having a hard time with it. It's bothering us. We're having a hard time letting it go. It's, we're in a bad place around it. I want to talk about, then, how we, if we can think of it this way, how we can sort of manage that change because the reality is that unwelcome change and stress often go together. And the reason stress and anxiety are often associated with unwelcome change is because most of us as human beings need to be able to control um, things in our lives. And so when things are just blown apart on us, we, we come out of control, we, we realize our vulnerability, uh, we start to feel uh, powerless. And the more that happens in, in our lives, and, it, and you know, it's amazing how it can happen in life. Sometimes it just happens on, we're, we're dealing with one thing, all of a sudden something breaks out over here, and all of a sudden we find ourselves, we were just walking, it was going great, and all of a sudden, you know, we're like, we've got multiple things that we have to deal with that are hard, and the more that happens, the more unwelcome change seeps into our life, the, 
the higher our stress level and the more anxiety we feel because the more we realize we're not in control of it, we can't control our environment. That feeling of being out of control increases anxiety and stress in our lives. And when that is not properly managed, it will turn into not just discouragement, but a low level of, de a low grade depression. And low grade depression unaddressed can bring us to points of burnout and high recklessness. And it's very easy to get into a bad place when things are happening out of control because we want to at least control something. And, I, and again, I just point that out because that's real life. And so how do we manage unwelcome change? How, uh, I don't want to just say, you know, we're followers of Jesus. Let's just, you know, claim his promises and that's that. I mean, yes, we are to claim his promises, but come, come on. Th there are things that God would, there are positions that we can take to manage better and to help other people as well who are having to negotiate this as well, um, unwelcome change. So let me just put a couple of things on the board around this. One of the main things that we need to remember during seasons when unwelcome change is coming upon us is to reposition those unwelcome changes as best as we can as opportunities. And the reason I say it is, and I'm not just talking about a mental maneuver or a coping device. I'm, I'm, I'm suggesting in every situation there are genuine opportunities that are there. We, we may not see them yet. We may not see them. But there are opportunities in every situation for something good to, to come. I call that the principle of low-hanging fruit. Think about fruit that is right there for us. We just need to reach out and take it. It's there. There are some fruit that is, is some, some things, some blessings associated with unwelcome change that, you know what, we, we can see it. It's right there. It's easy. We, should, we need to pursue it. We need to be open to it. There's some good that can come from it, and we can pull that right off the tree, and it, it, just, it, it just makes sense. Yeah, it was bad, but this is a good thing that I, I can do around it. But then there are other times where we look up on the tree, and, and you know, it's not that easy to get. We got to pull out a ladder. We got to go climb up there, right? And we got we to kind of re reach for that. It's, gonna, it's way up there, and we're going to have to try to actually do a little bit more effort to get that. But it's there. It's there. I'm just going to have to put some effort to get it. Does that make sense? So that when we get ourselves in situations where we are having to deal with unwelcome change, it's not what we wanted, we weren't looking for it, it happens to us, it catches us off guard, we get to decide, you know what, are we going to be open to the opportunity that's there, or are we going to just going to kind of ignore that reality and just think about it. What is the opposite of looking, some again, low fruit, I can see it, some things i got to really lift my eyes to see it. But if we're down like this, beaten down, letting the situation that we find ourselves in define us. We're not reaching for anything. We're not even seeing it. It's there, but we're not, we're not looking for it. We're just, see, the Lord wants to teach us, can I say that? To, to, to live in a hopeful way. When, when, when God is welcomed into our situations, we can rest, uh, listen, it, we can rest in him. We can, we can how would I say it? Uh, he wants to, us to move into a positioning of our heart that is more hopeful and optimistic and faith-filled. Why? Because it is at the core of the Christian life is, is hope. Everything about Jesus speaks of hope. Even when the worst comes, even death, there is hope. That's why the Lord constantly taught. He said, where is your victory, death? Where is, your, where is the sting of death? And it's, it's been swallowed up. 
in, in Christ Jesus. I mean, even that, even that, Jesus says, is not the end. Even there, there is hope. So there is, not, there is nothing that is hopeless in this life because if even the end of it is not the end of hope, that's what Jesus is saying. This is a hopeful way. Everything about it reminds us that when we welcome God into a situation, when we allow him to come into this bad place, we open up possibilities, the possibilities that wouldn't exist if we were not lifting our eyes and seeing what God can do, even in this bad thing, even in this thing that I don't want. You know what? God, if I will listen to God, if I will look, there are opportunities there. And this is what Romans 8, 28, what does it tell us? It's a great verse. And we know that all things work together for good to those who, what? Who love God and are called according to his purpose, right? That this idea of, of centering our life in Christ and then reminding ourselves that God can take even this and bring good from it. As long as we do not allow it to contaminate our heart, as long as we do not allow it to sort of define us, we create the possibility for God to do, uh, I don't want to say amazing all the time, but how about life-giving things? Now, here's a principle. Here are a couple of very practical things. One of them is that I, I noted is, is what I'm calling the principles of Philippians 4. So not only can we manage and welcome change by sort of repositioning um, our, the, the change as an opportunity, but also we can think about Philippians 4. And this is a great passage to mull over, to meditate on, to reflect on, particularly when we are going through a difficult transition or a change that we don't want or are having a hard time getting past or are afraid about what it, it, it is going to mean in the future. That because frequently some of what is the most damaging part of what we're experiencing is thinking about what may happen. So we, we, we catastrophize. We, we glorify our fear instead of glorifying God. And so anyway, Philippians 4, verse 6, be anxious for nothing, Paul writes, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God that passes all understanding will keep your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. And now look what he says. And finally, brothers, finally, my brothers and sisters, look at this. Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, he's just, it's a very poetic role. Whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things, fix your gaze there, focus on those things, on these good things, true things, lovely things. He's reminding the people to not simply focus on the wrong things. He's telling us, really, he's giving us a, a, a pattern, how to stay in a good, basically you could call this how to stay in a good place. How to stay in a good place. He goes on to say this, and the things which you've learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And you know what? And the God of peace, he will be with you. This I tell you. Now, take this out. Let's, let's squeeze the life out of it if we can, in a good way, all right? Get the nutrition right out of this thing. One, how, would we look, how can we look at this passage in a different way? Let me suggest it's giving us principles. The first principle is giving us, which is found in verse 6, is this. Remember to share, we are to share our heart with the Lord. Be as honest as we can with God. Speak our words to him. Say, Lord, I need you in this time. Lord, I welcome you into my life right now. I welcome you into this storm of my life. I welcome you into this place. I've got so many different emotions that are swirling about in my mind. I, I, I welcome you, Lord. I give you my heart. I tell you, I come to you. What else we're told to do? I, I come to you with a thankful heart, Lord. I come to you thanking you for your love for me, for, for people you've placed in my life who care about me. I, I thank you, Lord, for the gift of life. I thank you for the promise. of. I thank you, Lord, for I mean, you, you, the position of thankfulness and coming to God. 
Not saying, Lord, you owe me. Where are you? I understand there are times where we will get frustrated. But for the, we're giving a, or being given a template for how to manage this well. One, move towards God in a spirit of thanksgiving in our heart. Ask the Lord to show up for us. Two, it's pretty clearly stated as well in verse 7. Look at this. Welcome him in at that moment to fill us with his peace. Fill me, Lord, with your peace. I am anxious about so much. My, be, what does it say? Be anxious for nothing. Lord, my, I, am, I feel out of control. I, I feel angry. I'm afraid. Whatever it is, speak it to the Lord, but in faith. Ask, Lord, I, I welcome you into this place. I welcome you into the center place. I welcome you into the deepest places. I welcome you, Lord, into the places where I don't even know where I really am, who I really am. I don't even know. You know me better than I know myself. I welcome you in. Give me your peace. Fill me with your peace. Give me perspective. Calm these raging waters of my heart. What else do we see in that, in that what, eighth verse that we are to intentionally then cultivate a positive mindset. I mean, that's impossible to miss that, right? Look, at he just runs off a list. True, noble, just, pure, lovely, good report, virtue, praiseworthy. I mean, he just throws one after another, and he's saying, meditate on these things. So in those places in life, fill our lives even more so with things that are going to move us in the right direction. Watch the voices that are allowed into our mind into our heart think about what we're listening to what our conversations are like the words that are coming out of our mouth that's what this is saying stay connected into a positive mindset that's what the bible is saying then when we're in these places where unwelcome unwelcome change is coming and seeking to sort of dis- and we're in a disruptive moment of life welcome in the principles of god's word and then what was the last thing he says in the ninth verse he says, these things which you've learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will, will come to you. What is he t- what's the principle right there? Remind yourself in these times. We need to remind ourselves of what we've learned, what we've learned, and then we need to seek out inspiring examples. That one of the best things we can do when our world is shaken or when we're really being just tempted to get very sour and... Um, to, to be reckless is to say, Lord, help remind me of what I've learned. Now is the time. Now is the time to apply it. Also, Lord, thank you for the people around me that you've given me that can give me an example. I let them inspire me. Maybe there are people we read about. Maybe there are examples in the scriptures. The book of Hebrews is filled, for example, in the 11th chapter with people who, Hebrews 11 is, is example of people who had to walk through very difficult things and yet God God delivers them or works with them through their faith. Uh, it, Hebrews, it, Hebrews 11 leads right into Hebrews 12. And Hebrews 12 says, in the light of all these different heroes of the Old Testament, remember this, look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher. And then it says, consider him who endured such hostility, lest you become weary and discouraged in your soul. He says, keep your eyes focused on the Lord. Meditate on these things. Last thing we'll say here around it. The simple. This is going to sound like a simple one, but I, I found it to be a very useful tool and because it's, it's, it's got good, <laughs> good principled theology that's biblically based. The serenity prayer, which is in the handout there, and many of us are familiar with it, was first uttered by Reinhold Niebuhr, a Christian theologian. It's been adopted over the years by the AA program. It's a fantastic prayer for change. Look what it says. God, grant me serenity to accept the things that I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. 
on looking at that in a slightly different way, what's the first thing we're told to do right there? We're told to turn to God, turn to the Lord, right? Tr trust in him, uh, draw near to him. You know, God grant me, God grant me, I come to you. Two, what else are we told there? Accept the reality of our situation. Accept it. By the way, you know what acceptance means? It means that I acknowledge that it is this, not that I like it. Accepting is not the same as approving. Accepting is not saying that was good, that's okay. It's not saying that. It's saying, but that is what happened. That is what it is, to use the overused phrase. It is what it is. And no amount of trying to, to look at it, it's not, it, that's it. Now there are times, and we need, sometimes it's so, we, we so badly do not want to acknowledge it because it's, we almost feel like if we acknowledge it, it's somehow making it legitimate and it can never be legitimate. It can never be right. And yet we must, there are some things we must accept and acknowledge. It is what, that is the reality. I don't agree, I don't approve, but it, I, I acknowledge it and I, I'm not gonna fight what it is. I'm not gonna keep trying to beat this thing down when it, it's, it's there. I'm not gonna deny it's not existing, it's there. It's a problem, it's an issue, it's a reality. Thirdly, act courageously, right? What are we told there? Determine to act courageously on what we can change and then, and then of course that's gonna mean the Lord filling us with courage. A lot of times we need to say, Lord, give me the courage. I need to face up to this issue because part of me just wants to run away from it. But I ask you to fill me with courage. Just like when the Lord said, I have not, not given you a spirit of fear in the, word, in the word of God, it says, but a spirit of power and of love and of soundness of mind. When the Lord says to Joshua, only be thou strong and of good courage to face things that we would rather not acknowledge. Lastly, the wisdom in, to discern the difference. And that is, uh, you know, to ask God for discernment in relation to what, why is, the, why is that a big deal? And the discernment to know the difference? Why is that, in, why is that such a impressive way to end that prayer? Why is that so meaningful? Here's why. If we are not discerning what the real issue is, we, we may have the complete wrong approach to it. If we, are, if we are in a situation where we're supposed to be contending for something, but we, and we, where it's really what is required of us is courage, and we're being passive and sort of giving up and quitting, and God's saying, no, you need to go at this. You need to contend for this. Well, you know what? Nothing's going to change unless we're willing to do that. But on the other hand, if we are, <laughs> if we are trying to go at something, and we're just gonna go even harder and harder and harder, and the reality is that we are applying the wrong solution to the problem, that that's not gonna change it. It's not gonna change it, we need to let it go. We need to give it to God, move forward. In other words, that whatever it is, you need, we need discernment to know the difference. Because all that's gonna lead into is um, an astonishing degree of frustration in our lives. And the Lord wants to teach us how to negotiate through skillfully or increasingly better the, the difficult places in life. So let me pray. Lord, I thank you for the, the word that we've been able to share. And I pray that life would flow out of it. I really do. Because inevitably, Lord, all of us are faced with things that we didn't want and we weren't welcoming them. Some of them, consequentially, maybe aren't that big of a deal, but they're big to us. Other things, Lord, are huge. And they have big ramifications. And they leave behind um, an extraordinary amount of devastation. But Lord, we need wisdom. We need understanding. We need to be in a good place. We need to, Lord, see the opportunities that are there, even in the most adverse scenarios that we are faced with. There are opportunities that you've made available to us. Some of them are so obviously like just drawing near to you. 
It's just such low-hanging fruit for us. Others, Lord, require intention and effort and discipline, growth, Lord. But, you know, Lord, you will show us the way. And I pray that you'll put the right people around us and that we'll hear the right words and we'll fill our minds with the right, right ideas and the right, right thoughts that will draw near to you and that you would draw near to us as we would do that. So, Lord, I just pray in the days ahead, the months ahead for this coming year that we just learn to walk closer to you. And even when change comes our way and we, that we didn't want, that we'll learn to see that, Lord, as something that you can even bring good through it. And you can and you do and you will. So I just pray for your blessing over these closing minutes. I pray that you would bless our song, which is really connected to this, and also, also, Lord, to our time of giving as we who are your community. Your, this is your church, Lord. We're committed to it. May we, may we give faithfully. We just ask for your blessing over our closing minutes. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen, Lord. Amen. Amen.